to the Gospel of Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 9. So if you have a device, if you have a hard copy of the text, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at the end of Matthew 9, the beginning of Matthew 10, and then we'll build up to Matthew chapter 16. So this is a, a special month because on Sunday, October 22nd, two weeks from today, is Missions Sunday. So on that Sunday, we're going to have a special all contribution actually will go towards missions for the year. So that's something we're building towards. But in addition to that, next Sunday, which I think is the 15th, uh, we're going to have a special contribution uh, dollar day for our caring and sharing ministry. So for the next couple of weeks, you're going to have the opportunity to give in special ways to very special ministries. And because of all this, it's an appropriate time to study missions. So I'm starting today, next week, and the week after, building up to Mission Sunday, and we're just going to study missions, and we're going to use the Gospel of Matthew as a guide for our study. So there's a man named Eugene Peterson. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he wrote The Message, that paraphrase version of the Bible. That's what he's known for, but he's also written several books. Uh, He's an older gentleman, and he reflects back on one of his books to a time when he was an elementary age student. He was being raised in a Christian household, and there was a kid at school named Garrison Johns. And Garrison Johns was a bully. So Eugene Peterson said that when he would go to school, Garrison Johns would pick on him, he would beat him up, he would steal his lunch money. So Peterson would go home and tell his mom what was happening at school, and his mom would say things like, well, you're a Christian, So you have to turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for Garrison. And then he would come home upset day after day, and she'd say, you know, she would remind him, Christians have always been persecuted. So he would try to obey that, and then one day he just snapped. And when Garrison Johns came to beat him up in front of the other students, he forgot all of those Christian teachings, and he just tackled the bully to the ground and began to beat him up. To his surprise, he was stronger than the bully. So all the other students are watching, because usually that will draw a crowd. And he told the bully, as he's beating him up, he said, Say uncle, which is the equivalent of saying tap out or give up. And he wouldn't do it. And so he kept beating him up, and as he's beating him up, he realized, I'm going to get in so much trouble when I get home. So he wanted to make the situation better, but he didn't want to let the bully off easy. So as he's beating him up, he said, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. (laughs) And he wouldn't do it, so he kept beating him up. And again, he said, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And finally, this bully yells out, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And Eugene Peterson said he considers that his first Christian convert. (laughs) Maybe you could argue against that, but... I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think of missions or mission work. Maybe you have a history with being a part of a church that was kind of like that, would go and would beat people over the head until they would uh, confess and be baptized. You know, maybe that's your history. Maybe you're so unfamiliar with this term, you don't know what we mean when we say missions. We're using the Gospel of Matthew as a guide. There's a lot of places we could look to in the New Testament to study missions. We're going to use Matthew because at the very end of Matthew's gospel, uh, he writes what's called the Great Commission. There's several commission statements that the gospel writers use, but Matthew's is probably the most well-known because he 
commissions his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations. So ultimately, when we talk about missions, that's the root of it. To go and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that involves several things. That involves teaching and preaching the gospel. Teaching people about Jesus. That involves baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That involves modeling and living it out. It's hard to try and make disciples of Jesus if we're not living like disciples of Jesus. But we're going to begin earlier in the ministry of Jesus, starting in Matthew chapter 9, right before he sends his own disciples on a little mission trip. And in Matthew chapter 9, we get this summary of the ministry of Jesus. And when I say ministry or missions, you can almost use those terms interchangeably. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, this is the mission, the ministry of Jesus. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So there's a quick summary of what Jesus is doing. He's traveling around. He's healing people. He's teaching, he's proclaiming this message of the kingdom of God, and he's having compassion. He has compassion on these crowds. And this is a teaching moment for his own disciples, and he says this, verse 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers or workers into the harvest field. So he tells his disciples... You know, there's people out there that need to hear this message, this kingdom message that Jesus was preaching. We just need more people to proclaim that message. So he says, why don't you ask God, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. Another way of looking at that, and this is in your bulletin insert, is to ask God to awaken disciple makers. There's a lot of disciples, there's a lot of disciples, professing disciples of Jesus in this room right now, but what we need, and what I think God's desire is, is to help awaken disciples to become disciple makers, and maybe that's a prayer that we can add to our own life. Maybe that's a prayer that we can have as a part of this church, is to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers, to awaken more disciple makers. Now, you see at the end of this verse, you see chapter 10, and then it starts a new chapter. Now, keep in mind when Matthew or the other gospel writers or New Testament writers, Old Testament writers for that sake, they didn't add in chapters and verse divisions. It's just one continuous thought and letter. So he continues the same thought, and in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, he calls his official 12 apostles. Apostles means one's who are sent. So he calls 12 men, officially 12, because it's similar to the 12 tribes of Israel, and these are the ones he is going to send, and he gives them the authority to carry out the same mission and ministry that he has been on. And then in chapter 10, starting in verse 5, this is the second major teaching block out of five in Matthew's gospel. And we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read just the very beginning statement that Jesus makes and starting in verse 5, he, he gives the twelve uh, these instructions. He says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, 
and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons, you received without payment, so give without payment, and then he says, take nothing with you for the journey, and he gives them these instructions, and the rest of the instructions may be something we could look at at another place another time, but what I want to focus on is where he sends them initially. Initially, Jesus says not to go to the Samaritans, which would have been very nearby, and not to go to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are anyone who is not a Jew. So he says, rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. So where Jesus begins with his disciples is he says, go locally. Start locally. Now, in the long run, the plan is most definitely to reach not just the lost sheep of Israel, but to reach the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the rest of the world. Next week's Uh, text we'll look at, and the week after that, you'll see that phrase, all nations. That's Jesus' plan. But here, he tells them to start locally. And I think sometimes we can underestimate how God uses local people to reach local people. A little tidbit from some missions history. In the late 16th century, uh, Korea had closed off its borders to all outside missionaries. So no one was able to go into Korea to teach a gospel message. However, during that time, there was about 300 Koreans who were being held prisoner in Japan. And while they were in Japan as prisoners, someone taught the gospel to them. They obeyed the gospel. They were baptized into Christ. They became Christians while in Japan. So for those who survived and made it back to their home country... They brought the message of Jesus with them. And they began to make disciples out of their own people. So the very first missionaries to Korea were Koreans. That's just one of many examples of how God uses local people to reach local people. So this month as we talk about missions, we're going to talk about some of the global missions that we're involved in here at Pine Tree. And those are very important. But for this morning, we're focusing on locally. How we're reaching the community around us, or maybe where we need to begin working. These are just ideas and thoughts to get you thinking. One of the things that we need to ask ourselves, because one of our commitments, commitment number six here at Pine Tree, is we want to reach our community. If you could sum it up in one word for commitment number six, it would be community. But two important questions I think we need to ask when we have this desire to reach our community, is one, is what is our motivation? Why are we motivated to reach our community? Is it so that we feel good about ourselves? Because we know that's probably a good thing to do, so we just do that because it looks good. Or are we motivated to reach Longview in the greater Longview area because we believe the kingdom of God is alive and active in this area? And we want to be a part of what God is doing for the betterment of this community. So what's our motivation? And then we might ask ourselves, what does this community need? Every community, every city is unique. What works in one city may not work in this city. What one city needs may not be the the things that this city needs. 
So as you look to this community, you might ask yourself, what do we need here? What are some of the needs in our community? How is God working, and how can we bring the love of Jesus into those areas? Starting last year, some girls here at this church had an idea for a need in this community. They saw a need that there's several students, a lot of schools, and students who obviously will need tutoring, help with homework. So they started what's called the Homework Club on Wednesday afternoons. And instead of me telling you what the Homework Club is, if you don't already know, uh, they made a little video, and we're going to show that video right now, and this will give you a glimpse of here's a need in our community, and here's how uh, some people are addressing that need and how God is working. So let's watch this video, and we'll continue our sermon. If you want to flip over, you can turn to Matthew 16. Hopefully this video will work. Wednesday from 4.30 to 5.30, we are offering free tutoring, homework help, and reading help to kids in our community who are in grades kindergarten through fifth. Many parents are unable to help their children with confusing homework, and many children need a safe and calm environment to study. Developing good study habits now can lead to a brighter future. After we spend one hour focusing on homework, reading, and educational games, We give parents the option to allow their kids to stay with us and have dinner. During homework club and dinner, these kids are spending quality time with members of our church who can show them Christ's love and be a role model. A special bond is made between these kids and our volunteers. After dinner, most of our homework club kids stay for Bible class. We are building bridges between unchurched members of our community by meeting some basic needs. Most of our homework club families have joined us for other events at our church because of the connections made in homework club. We even have had some decide to place membership here and join our church family. One of our seven commitments in our vision statement says, We will have an outward focus, sharing the love of Jesus with our local community and being a refuge of hope, encouragement, and love. So I brought my kids here. When I brought them here, I seen somebody that just was smiling, like, just smiling. I was like, well, okay. You know, I dropped my kids off. They had fun. They told me they had fun. They told me all about it and everything. And so I just started going to the church, and guess what? The smiling ain't just to about ten people. It's the whole church. They still smiling to this day. So (laughs) it's just just a good church to go to. Why did you like coming? Because... You really don't need any experience. You just need to have a heart for kids and some patience. We got to learn more about Jesus and God and Israelites. I volunteer at Homework Club because it's the first thing I feel like I've been able to be a part of where we're reaching kids, parents, families in our community. And last year to see the families drop their kids off to trust us with them and to see what came out of it. Um, The kids look forward to seeing the same faces every week. A lot of the kids who come to Homework Club haven't been to a church. Um, They don't know who the characters in the Bible are. They don't really know who God is. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't 
they haven't grown up hearing all of these things. I think seeds are being planted in these kids and then in turn in their families um, that will last beyond what we can imagine. If you are looking for a way to serve our community, show Christ's love, and spread the gospel, then you don't have to look any farther. We are doing that right here. Please sign up and join us. There are many ways to get involved. Even if you're not good with homework, or if you're not great with kids, you can still serve in this ministry. Ask us how you can get involved today. So there's a way that someone saw a need in our community and said, hey, let's do something about it. And now God is blessing that, and that's continuing to grow. And that's an opportunity for you to also get involved with local people reaching local people. There's other opportunities, which we'll talk more about next week, like Caring and Sharing, Homework Club, like you just saw, Highway 80 Rescue Mission, which is a ministry that's already taking place in this community that we're partnering with. And there's other ministries that you can be involved in with reaching local people. Jesus sends his disciples, and he says, start with your own people, the lost sheep of Israel, and then we're going to move out. So the focus is, what is God doing locally? Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to read this text. This is probably a little more well-known than the passage we just read from Matthew 9 and 10. But Matthew chapter 16 has a lot to do, I believe, with the local church. Starting in verse 13, I'm going to read verse 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Maybe a passage you're familiar with. But there's a few key things that I want to highlight from these verses we just read. First of all, in verse 13, he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, a city that was named after two political figures, Herod's son Philip, which is where the Philippi comes from, and Tiberius Caesar. So you get Caesarea Philippi. But that's not the reason why the city is unique. Caesarea Philippi is unique because they were a mixture of people. There were Jews there, God-fearing Jews. There was a synagogue there. But more widely known was they worshipped this Greek god named Pan. And I'm not going to get into all the details and explain to you who this Greek god is, but they worshipped him, they prayed to him, they had a temple and a shrine set up for Pan, and they would offer sacrifices to this god. Often they would offer child sacrifices. So this was kind of a brutal, violent place. A lot of blood in this city from sacrifices made to this God. It's a very immoral place. It's the type of place that if you grew up as a God-fearing Jew in a Jewish family, they probably taught you not to go to this city. Uh, Many years ago, that movie, Remember the Titans, came out. 
And the movie is about integration, integrating white and black football players together. And Denzel Washington plays a character who, he's the head coach. And so you see the, the tension throughout the movie. And he wants to deliver a speech, a powerful speech for his team. But he doesn't do it in the locker room, and he doesn't do it on the practice field because it wouldn't have as strong of an impact. So he wakes, them, he wakes the team and the coaches up early one morning, and they take a long run. They go out to Gettysburg. And when they get there, then he delivers the speech, and it's heard in a different way because of their location. So sometimes the location is important. And here Jesus takes his disciples on a little field trip. They're still local. They're not real far away, but they've gone maybe to the other side of town. They've gone to a bad part. They've gone to a city where they would normally avoid. And it's in this city, it's at this location where Jesus has this conversation. And he says, who do the people say that I am? Well, they say that you're a prophet. And then he flips the question around and he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter makes this confession. You are the Messiah which is a turning point in the Gospels. You are the son of the living God, which contrasts Pan, which he believes is a dead God, not a real God. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus uses this word. He says, on this rock, which I'll talk about the rock in just a second, he said, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. That's the Greek word which we translate church. Matthew is the only Gospel writer to use this word ecclesia, this word church. It's a word that they would have been familiar with. Originally, church did not mean what we think of as we think of church. Often, when we think of church, we think of a church building. But originally, when he uses the word church, it might mean called out ones or assembly. It's a word that would have been commonly used even among people who didn't have faith. So Jesus takes this word and he uses it for his own purposes. And he says, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, on this rock. And for centuries, people have thought maybe he meant on Peter. Maybe Peter is the rock because there's a wordplay with his name, meaning rock. But even Peter himself, if you read Peter's letters in First and Second Peter, Peter doesn't believe he's the rock. Probably the rock is that confession that Peter makes. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And on that pillar, on that rock, he's going to build his church. And some say maybe he was actually standing on a rock when he said that. Because there was a cave dedicated to the Greek god Pan where they would offer these sacrifices. So some speculate and say maybe he was actually standing on the rock. But regardless, he goes to a city like this, Caesarea Philippi, and it's in this city that he says, I'm going to build my church. He could have stayed in, somewhere in Galilee. He could have went to Jerusalem. But instead, he goes to this immoral place like this. And he says, it's in a place like this, I'm going to build my church. It's in a city like this, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. I believe Jesus has hope for his church. We live in a time... Uh, where tension is high. You see last week the horrible thing that took place in Las Vegas. Uh, you read the news even in Longview or Dallas or wherever, and you're hearing of violence, you're hearing all these stories, and the temptation 
that we have as Christians is to withdraw. But I believe one of the things that God calls us to do as a local church is to engage. It doesn't mean you participate in immorality, but it means you engage the community because the gates of Hades will not overcome the church of Christ. And Jesus says, it's in a place like this, I'm going to build my church, the local church. And I believe the local church has a mission. There's a man named Tom Rayner. He wrote a book several years ago called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. So there was a church in the 1970s, 1975 to be exact, they had about 750 members. Almost 30 years later, by the year 2003, they were down to about 83 members. So in a little less than 30 years, they dropped drastically. So they called in Tom Rayner and they said, we want you to be a consultant. So he spent about two weeks with this church. Worshiping with them, talking with some of the leaders, having meetings. And he was supposed to diagnose, here's your problem, here's what you need to do. And when they took him to the airport, he told them his thoughts. They didn't really listen to him. He said he thought that this church was going to close in about five years, and he was wrong. It took about 11 years, but eventually they shut the church down. So he wrote a book, and he wrote an autopsy report on what he believed happened to this church. And I'm not going to include everything that was on the autopsy report, but I'm going to highlight a few things that he mentions where this church went wrong. And one of those things was this. The church had no community-focused ministries. It was only focused on itself. And he pointed out that in the last 30 years, the neighborhood around the church had changed drastically. But the demographics of the church did not change at all. They had no desire to reach their neighbors, their physical neighbors, or to reach the community around them. And that was one of the areas where they went wrong. They had no evangelistic emphasis, whether it's locally or globally. The members had more and more arguments about what they wanted. And he said the members idolized an era in the past. They lived in the past and they wished they could just go back to the good old days but eventually they dwindled. Now, there's probably other reasons why, and maybe he misses a few things in his book. And this isn't about bashing some other church, but it's about highlighting the fact that God's people are called to be on mission. Whether it's locally or globally, God calls us to reach beyond ourselves, beyond our own church walls. God calls us to make disciples. The local church has a mission, not just worldwide, but the local church has a mission right here. We have a mission right here in Longview, Texas, to share the love of Christ and to make disciples. And we want you to be a part of it, if you're not already. And maybe that's an area you need to think about and pray about today, is how am I a part of reaching locally? Where is God working? Someone told me once, you know, you don't always have to invent new ministries. God is already working, so maybe all you need to do is open your eyes and join where God is already working. And there's some opportunities for that. So this morning, as we wrap this lesson up, you're going to have an opportunity to respond, and maybe you're at a place where where maybe you need to be one of those prayer requests. When Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, 
to send out more workers into the field, awaken more disciple makers. Maybe God is placing that on your heart. And maybe this would be a good opportunity to talk with a shepherd and begin a new journey and rededicating yourself. Or maybe this morning you've never become a disciple in the first place. And we have a baptistry, and this is an opportunity for you to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you start the journey today. I'm not sure where you're at. We just want you to know, as we sing this invitation song, you have the opportunity to grab a shepherd in the back to come up front, but you have an opportunity to respond, and you will be welcome. Uh, Let's stand up, and let's continue singing.